This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we have with us the founder, CEO, and president, Cliff Levin of Furniture for Life. We're in Boulder, Colorado, 60-degree day in the dead of winter. That's right. Tough day. Typical day in Boulder. <laughs> Happy you joined us here, Bob. <laughs> Cliff, thanks so much for taking time with us today. Tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Uh, we've been in business 11 years. Our mission is to make the world a more comfortable place, and we do that through a variety of well-designed, well-made furniture products. Um, we talk to discerning consumers who care about the quality of product they buy, and they're interested in something that's healthy and comfortable. That's who we're after. You know, it, when I first came in, there's a showroom that we were in, and there's a quantity of high-tech Furniture, I, mm -hmm. I consider high tech. Mm -hmm. And you know, for you folks that are listening, you didn't get to test drive one of these um, pieces of furniture, and, and it looks like a very high speed, sleek, easy chair—the one that I was in. At least that's what I would call it. Yeah. Um, well, all of our furniture has a twist on it that's health, wellness, comfort related. Um, the core of our business is massage chairs. That's kind of how we grew up as an organization. And we've branched out from massage chairs into the recliner that you were mm -hmm. trying, which is a true zero gravity recliner under the Positive Posture brand name. And we also carry a Norwegian brand of chairs where we're the North American distributor that are um, healthier than your average office chair because they introduce a level of movement into your day that isn't possible in a typical static office environment. Again, everything we do and everything we touch is going to have an underlying health message. Yeah, and the health message is just not you and I chatting about it. There's research that's been done that supports your assertions on, on uh, what, you're, what you're talking about and being in a healthy piece of equipment. Absolutely. Uh, for example, this Norwegian brand, I'm talking about the brand is Varier. Um, there is a move stool. In fact, I'm sitting on one right now, and you are too and it encourages you to fidget. Well, we sent that move stool to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and there's a research lab there. And there's a guy named Dr. Levine who is deep into researching how to make Americans and people around the world more healthy in the context of this really sedentary way of life that people in advanced economies live. The move stool is something called NEAT certified. NEAT, and this is going to get a little bit crazy, but NEAT stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And it's a very fancy way of saying how much are you moving and how much energy are you burning when you're not exercising. And it turns out, according to Dr. Levine's research, that that kind of activity is as important, if not more important, than making a point of exercising 45 minutes a day, just in terms of your long-term health and vitality. You know, I, I think about, uh, and we were chatting about this before too, is, you know, I, I'm in the office environment and, and I'm sedentary through much of the day in front of computers and doing what I do. Um, and, you know, you think about the various things to sustain energy and, and stay in competitive in the business environment. And there were applications, and you like the chair that I'm sitting in now, Absolutely. When you said when you move and fidget, I'm going, well, that's exactly what I'm doing right now is I'm moving and fidgeting. And I have an urge to yes. twist back and forth. Perhaps not a good thing when there's a video camera trained on you because yeah, it'll drive it, people yeah. crazy. But that's what it encourages mm -hmm. you to do. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking before and, and 
you were talking about your timing being so impeccable coming into this yeah, business. Yeah. Um, in 2006, I had stopped what I was doing before, which was running a chain of back specialty retail shops on the East Coast, primarily the DC area. And I moved here to Boulder and um, through a variety of kind of lucky breaks, I ended up jumping into the massage chair business, a business that I had understood and known from the health care, health specialty store business. And it felt like a matter of months later that it was announced that the United States was in the deepest recession in modern memory. And there we were, brand new company. It was me and a couple of other folks. And that that's the moment when I thought, well, my timing really couldn't have been any better. Uh, we were lucky. We got through it. Uh, we got through it because we were small. We got through it because we were starting. Um, and we were also talking to um, a, a slice of the American consumer that was relatively insulated from the worst parts of the recession. So they were able to afford our, our what turned out to be luxury products. Uh, and, uh, and in our first six months of business, um, it took us six months to do our first million. Now, that was before the deep recession. Uh, and then when the recession hit, we actually continued to grow through that, which isn't a reflection on our capability or intelligence. It's that we were coming off of a very small base, and we just happened to be starting right then. You know, and we were talking before, and for the folks out there going like, well, you know, is, is your product and furniture, is it for me? Who's your typical client? Um, I'm going to split the group in two. Okay. okay. And I'm going to talk about, let me talk about massage chairs. All right? okay. Massage chairs are big, they're bulky, they're expensive. And that's just a long way of saying it's a big decision if you're going to bring one into your home. Okay. Um, we have really affluent customers who are stressed out by their lives and are looking for a way to escape for 15 minutes or 30 minutes every day. And for them, it's not so much uh, the expenditure, but it's the commitment of space. It's the commitment of, of um, it's just a decision to bring this object into their house. And, and they bring it in to run away a little while from their busy lives. That's one set of consumer. Um, well-to-do families, well-to-do husbands and wives who just know that this moment away from it all is going to be beneficial to their mental health and well-being. That's one side of it. The other side of it is I've got serious chronic neck, back, or shoulder pain, and I don't care how much money I make. I'm going to solve this problem. And, and so it's really interesting and uh, kind of heartwarming to me that we talk to a lot of people who are buying our products who are stretching, financially stretching to own our products because after they try them, they really believe in them. And that, that there's where the real testimony lies in terms of what our product capabilities are, right? Somebody who's maybe a mechanic whose work is really killing their bodies and choosing to step up and buy one of our chairs and our most popular chair is $9,000. Uh, and saying, this is what I need. This is the best thing. I've, tr I've tried them all. This is the best thing on the market. So both of those groups are groups that we speak to. Um, uh, and both of those groups are important to our business. When I was doing my test drive, and you were saying, let me show you basically the zero gravity mm -hmm. uh, attitude of this particular chair. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the benefits mm -hmm. to the customer of the zero gravity. Let's touch on that for the folks that are going, sure. wow, maybe this is a solution for me. Sure. Okay. Um, 
Let me organize our products into groups here, All right. okay? Because this is gonna get a little confusing. We have massage chairs, mm -hmm. and we, we actually represent multiple brands, multiple luxury brands of massage chairs. Um, one of them is the Dreamwave brand. Mm -hmm. That's our, that's our high-end brand. One of them is the Panasonic brand of massage chairs, and everybody knows the Panasonic brand. We are the um, exclusive United States distributor for the Panasonic brand of massage chairs. And then there's a third brand, which is a brand that we developed called Positive Posture. And we have massage chairs in, under all of those different brand labels, and they all they're slightly different flavors and they feel really different and certain consumers will drift one way and others will drift another way depending on their needs. Under the Positive Posture brand, in addition to massage chairs, we also have true zero gravity recliners. And that's what you tried. Mm -hmm. uh, the novel ability of true zero gravity recliner is that it can get your ankles and your calves well above the level of your heart. If you happen to be uh, an old weekend warrior jock and you tweak your ankles regularly, like I used to when I was a little bit younger, uh, or you're diabetic and you're suffering from edema, swelling of the ankles or the calves, the ability to raise your ankle or calves above the level of your heart is tremendously therapeutic. It'll reduce swelling in a matter of just a few minutes. Uh, if you've ever had any kind of surgery, wherever it is on your body, the surgeon will tell you if you're able to elevate that part of the body. And that's precisely what a zero gravity recliner is capable of doing with your calves and your ankles in addition to the fact that it's just ridiculously comfortable. I think most people buy these uh, true zero gravity recliners from us because they find them really comfortable. Some of the people buy them because they need, they absolutely need the therapeutic benefits that, that the recliner offers. You know, I, when I was in the chair and he says, now this is gonna feel a little strange, but you were talking about it's, it's almost like a traction effect yes. on the lower back and you know, and I was, dipped, I don't know what degree it was, mm -hmm. but you literally could feel the pressure come off your lower back. Yes. Uh, precisely what the recliner is designed to do. Uh, what happens is the posture you're in is a, is a semi-fetal position. If you can imagine lying on your back, well, imagine, this is why we call it true zero gravity. Imagine an astronaut floating in space in a relaxed posture. You have that bend at the hips that you mm -hmm. always see in an astronaut. And, and that's, I refer to it as the semi-fetal position. People with low back pain frequently can't sleep on their backs at night. So what they'll do is they'll turn on their sides and then pull their knees up toward their chin mm -hmm. a little bit. And that'll instantaneously give them a relief. And that's what this recliner is able to do while you're lying on your back and sitting in it. Put you in that semi-fetal position. You know, let's shift gears just a little bit. So you, you started out, it was basically you and a couple of folks. Yeah. Um, we're in the... Right adjacent to everybody. The place is just awesome. I mean, the tables move up, move up and down. Pretty much everybody's in the same kind of chair that I'm in. Uh, many of them are standing up at their desks. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, for me, I like to write on walls, and there's one wall that's designed to be written on. So how many folks do you have in your organization now? Uh, we have 42 people on the payroll today. And, and we were talking about how you have the groups organized because you have a luxury premium product, mm -hmm. you have a focus on a particular area or a couple of areas within your organization. Yeah, in order to share the message, we have a fairly robust marketing effort. That's mm -hmm. absolutely necessary. Um, we wanna rise above the clutter and we wanna make the argument to consumers, in case any consumers are listening right now, that 
there's real value to buying the luxury and high quality brands that we represent. And part of that value then comes to another critical area of the company, which is the service side of the company. Mm-hmm. Once you buy one of our products, either directly from us or through one of our dealer partners around the country, um, at that point we're engaged. That's the first day of our engagement as far as we're concerned. From that point on, you've joined the family. Uh, we are going to take care of you and your problems we see as opportunities to make you delightfully happy. And uh, I like to think that we do a good job of the way we answer the phone and the way we handle warranty issues and even post-warranty issues. Um, I think we do it pretty well. It is certainly something we're passionate about and care deeply about. And I believe it's it's core to our success. And so for the organization in where you're going with it, what do you see as the key things that are coming in the next two to three years for the company? Um, we're getting more complex. All right, so let me just look inside here and look at the microcosm of who we are. Um, we're adding products. Uh, we're constantly upgrading our technical capabilities. Uh, we're taking on more challenges as they relate to designing products. Um, so uh, I see uh our ability to kind of weather the increasing complexity and dumb it down to the extent that we can uh, by ignoring the things that really don't matter to the business and really focusing on the things that we do. And that's much harder. It's easy to say and hard to do. Um, I guess my point is that the complexity can bury us. Mm -hmm. And if we don't keep up with our personnel systems and our technology systems, um, it'll put a hurt on us. Uh, I, I think we're doing okay. We're trying. We're trying uh, different things, and and we're taking a, a, a very different approach to how we organize the company in an effort to uh, address this kind of wave of change and complexity that we see coming to us. You know, it's this is you know heading toward probably my my favorite part of mm-hmm. the the podcast is where I get to quiz you to death. Good, which is you know it, which is fun for me because it. it you know, I'd love to hear your answers. Sure. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I talk to business owners is their recent reading. Mm-hmm. And so what's the most recent book or most influential book that has altered your perception on being a CEO or how you run your business and why? Um, have you heard about this book called Traction? Have I haven't. Heard? Okay. Uh, there's this guy named Gino Wickman. And um, th- there's only one possible answer to this question right now because our whole organization is now built on the concept of putting in place an entrepreneurial operating system. Mm-hmm. And once all the pieces of that are in place, this guy, Gino Wickman, informs us that at that point you have something that he calls traction. You've got grip, you've got movement, you've got momentum, and you're going in a direction. Uh, Traction involves um, a fairly painful process of really trying to understand who you are as an organization. And, you know, it's only recently that we've gotten to 42 people. Mm -hmm. For a long time, the company could just exist on people knocking on my door and going, Cliff, what do you think of this? Cliff, what do you think of that? And it worked. It no longer works at 42 people. And so we think hard about precisely who we are, how we're going to focus, what our core values are. And uh, from there, we develop a one-year plan, a three-year plan, and a five-year plan. And after we've got those big blocks in place, and this is, it, it sounds really simple. It's actually kind of difficult to execute. It's a, it's a big change for me, and it's a big change for a lot of people in the organization who are used to a much more informal environment. After you've broken it down like that, 
you then take your year and you chunk it out into quarters. Mm -hmm. And there are all kinds of rules and, and commandments that we're going to live by under this entrepreneurial operating system that ensure that we're all pulling in one direction. The most um, kind of compelling aspect uh, of it for me was the notion, uh, this guy Gino Wickman says, look, if you ask any successful business executive, and we have a few business executives in here, do you have a clear idea of where you're going? Um, anybody worth their salt will, will have something to say that's pretty clear and pretty good, that sounds a lot like a mission or a vision statement. Gino says the problem is not that good thinking people don't have a clear idea of what they should be doing. It's that they don't agree. It's that one executive and one executive suite's got one idea and another one's got another idea. And so the whole point of this effort is to suck every, well, it all, it starts with people just sitting in a room hour after hour, whittling this thing down. I chime in every once in a while. But the effort to get on paper clearly who we are is a group effort, kind of signed off by me, really. And then once it's there, we go, we all agree this is what we're doing. And that's the magic. That's when the magic Congruent. starts to happen. Yeah. You know, I think about the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit and you go, I, I got that in the sales department. I can see that. Yeah. How does that entrepreneurial spirit manifest itself in the service department? Um, it's interesting because we have this debate all the time. Um, how much energy does the service department put into revenue generating activities versus pure customer loving activities? Mm -hmm. And we tip way over on the customer love side of things. And um, we all accept, me, the CFO, everybody else in the organization, that that is a cost center. That is not a revenue generating center. Um, so the entrepreneurial spirit for them is tied to key measurements related to things like how long was it after the first call? How many days did it take to solve the problem? Mm -hmm. A lot of calls we get are solved in two minutes because it's, a, it's teaching the user something. But, but for real service issues, call came in. Was it two days? Was it a week? Was it two weeks, which is a disaster. Um, and that's how we measure them. And, and, and their goal is to come up with creative methods and systems to uh, make that process more painless for the consumer and more efficient for us. Well, it's measurable and definable. Yeah, right. right. So have you ever met the author of the book? No, <laughs> but I would like to. I would like to tell him two things. Uh, you've, you're making me work way too hard. <laughs> And uh, it's when it clicks, it's really the light bulb just goes on and, and, and it's amazing. How long ago did you do this? <clears throat> yeah. So uh, we started in earnest, I'm going to say five months ago, and we are six or seven months away from going, we got it. So seeing some good symptoms? Yes, some good symptoms. Well, that's and, and some pain. And, you know, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me. Um, to not screw it up because I'm used to a very different way of operating. And it's, that's true for some other people too. Yeah. You know, I, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, what was that moment like when you said, we got to do something different? Oh, you're going to love this. It wasn't me. It was the people around me. I wasn't the one that said, we have something we need to fix. It was people going, coming to me and saying, Cliff's not working. 
and me finally going, you're right. How about that? Yeah. Not what I would, would have anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. And so here you are. Mm-hmm. This is not working. And so you now start down this journey of, all right, what am I going to do? How did you run across this book? Again, I can't take credit for that. So there are, there are a couple other people um, who were at another company before they came here. happened to be the same company. And uh, they had gone through this process, this precise traction process. And they had seen it transform uh, the way another CEO behaved and uh, the activity and effectiveness of the organization they'd been a part of. And they're the ones that sort of agitated almost from the ground up. It was a popular uprising. <laughs> I was almost deposed. <laughs> uh, and that's how it happened. And I give them credit and I call them out all the time. And they were very skillful in how they went about it. it. You know, it wasn't that long. It was about a year ago that we hired our first and only HR manager because we just reached the point where people needed that resource in the organization. And they had sort of started to convince the HR manager that this is something that really should be brought to me and really should be pushed. And they were introducing these ideas quietly in meetings. And then one day I said, all right, we're going to do this. And um, I wasn't sure about it at all. I had read the book a couple of times, but it was getting into the process. And and, um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are likely to look at all these systems from the outside with a lot of skepticism. I was one of them. Well, you were successful to that point. uh, Right. Right. Um, And and I looked at it with skepticism because it was this system, like all systems, that announced that this was the answer. This was God's gift to any company struggling with anything. Mm -hmm. But after we started to go through the motion, I I refer to it as sort of hearing the drumbeat of what traction is, getting the cadence right, because it involves a very structured set of meetings, a very structured set of goals. And after doing that a few times, it's kind of like the first time you try and shoot a layup. Everything about it's awkward. Or you're learning to shoot a left-hand layup. Everything about it's awkward. But after you do it a thousand times, there's nothing about it that's awkward. And and we're sort of in the process of, of, of shooting a left-hand layup. You know, that's an awesome transformation out of a book. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and, and but think, I, you know, I want to say something else. Yeah. But I think I, I this is this is an old cliche, but I think um, leaders are readers, or readers are leaders, however you wish to say it. And I would never suggest that, that this one book is providing us with a user's manual mm-hmm. for how to operate a company. But there's so much more critical information that needs to come in from every kind of sector of the organization. And um, uh, I, I think um, certainly in my case and in the case of many of the people that work here, the best ideas are going to come from just a very general interest in reading, not just business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, understanding a little more about life, realizing that the world is bigger than Boulder and bigger than yourself, and absorbing all that, and and uh, and and bringing some of that general knowledge to work, I think is critical. Yeah, I, I can't imagine not reading. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm usually on one or two books pretty much at a time. So yeah. yeah, this might be an interesting thought. What failure, or at the time, apparent failure, has served you or your company best, or set you up for future achievement, and why? I would say, and we're still going through this, I would say the biggest failure that we made was being over-enthusiastic of some of the ideas, uh, and it's, those ideas were specifically manifest in products, 
uh, getting too excited about some products and over-investing in them, and mm. very specifically over-investing in inventory. This is a, a common and dull problem that many companies who have to hold inventory have, I'm sure of it. Um, and even though we're 11 years old, we're sort of young in terms of, of, of growing into being a from a tiny company into a, a small mid-sized company into a mid-sized company. We made some mistakes with inventory that we're still smarting from and still working our way out of. And it's a big distraction. So with those problems in mind, um, was Traction able to address some of the systems that would help you with that better? Um, It is helping us get out of those issues. But what what I am confident of is because of the pain that we have been through uh, that has been related to those issues, we won't repeat that. Mm -hmm. The the institutional memory of what happened is not going to be lost. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Paid too much tuition. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you could put an ad on page one of the local paper sharing your company message or advice, what would it say and why? Talk to us. Try what we have to offer. And if you become our customer, you'll feel better than you've ever felt before. Not a lot of companies could say that. That's excellent. What's the best allocation, either of time or initiative, that's helped your company most and why? Um. Of late, mm-hmm. uh, technology. Now, we're really invested, not me, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of a dope when it comes to matters of deep technical matters. But we have a lot of, we have a team, a core team of very capable people who take our um, kind of behind the scenes operating systems. And we, we run on the Salesforce platform, mm-hmm. okay? uh, really kind of molding that piece of clay. Um, into a form that works well for us. So Salesforce is constantly becoming this better and more refined tool for us. Uh, That's a big piece of it. But then also technology as it relates to our products. We're investing in um, really accomplished designers from the visual and functional standpoint, but also we're investing in the intellectual property of the underlying software that drives the sensations that come out of a massage chair. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm absolutely convinced that the investment on the backside systems and the investment in the products, uh, both of which fall into this sort of very general technology realm, are are huge and important pieces of our future. You know, I think about adopting or any technology. There's that period of time where you learned how to drive the thing. Mm-hmm. takes a bit of time. If, if I was to talk to some of the folks here and say, what is your most unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you or your company most? My personal unusual habit. They're, they're, they're uh, too numerous to... Uh, <laughs> we don't have enough time. <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, I'll twist it around a little bit. There is an expectation for the way a CEO is going to behave. Um, there is a built-in, and Traction tries to overcome some of this too, but there's a built-in reluctance of the people who report to me, which is everybody in the organization, to really tell the God's honest truth about what's going on. Um, but I, th- I hope that time and time again, I've proven through my behavior that I'm maybe different than other CEOs or big executives that they've dealt with, and I'm perfectly willing to listen to the contrarian view or hear the bad news without 
going nuts on somebody. Uh, it's I, I, I absolutely think it's critical to the smooth operation of the business that all of those issues, all the important issues that are negative bubble to the surface, even if they're, you know, people are really reluctant to tell me that my idea is bad. And I think that's really dangerous. So I, I constantly try to work to overcome that. And I don't know if they see it as a quirk, but I, I do think they've, they've, they've accepted that Cliff is willing to get his ego out of things um, pretty quickly. That's a long road to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Over the past three years, what belief or protocol have you established in your company that has most impacted you or your company's success? We're back at traction again. So I mean, it's, it. that's it, you know. Um, yeah, traction and all the KPIs that are involved with that and, and the than the nature of communication that it facilitates. For um, folks, KPI. Uh, key performance indicators. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, and the fact that we, you know, on a, a little piece of paper have documented our, our vision very clearly. And we, we ref- it's, it's, our, it's our business Bible, right? We, we constantly, it's our touchstone. We go back to it all the time. We, uh, I don't, it's a trailblaze. Do you want it, if you want to check whether or not you're on the right path, if you've taken the fork in the right direction, just pick this up and read it and ask that question again. Yeah. Congruency. Yes. What advice would you offer to a new CEO that's assuming the role of CEO for the first time? Uh, modesty. Definitely focus and follow through on your ideas. But um, as you are challenged with real information, to the extent possible it should be real information, be willing to start to shift your ideas a little bit. Uh, You may need to shift your ideas because of the team you have and their specific capabilities, which might not be a perfect fit for what it is that you want to do. You might have to shift your ideas because the real world is telling you you're wrong. Uh, you know, um, again, uh, it's really important for companies to make decisions quickly and go a strategic direction quickly. But after that decision is made, I think it's really important to start to refine that direction, which ultimately may mean not overnight, but over time that you're going 180 degrees the other way. Well, you know, I I think about that as you were talking about setting your one, three and five year plan. Yes. And then you're talking about this type of operation and at some point in time, you go back and look at your KPIs and go, are we on board? Are we off? Did we just think about this wrong or did something change? Right. And so and what's that old cliche? If, so, you know, if you can measure it, typically it'll improve? Yes. Yes. And so you guys are actively measuring. We're, we're, we're actively getting better at measuring. Remember, we're still in the middle of, of this sort of implementation process. And it, it's interesting that, uh, that in traction, they call it the entrepreneurial operating system. And the way I explained it to my team was um, because it's an operating system, just like a Microsoft operating mm-hmm. system, we're going to discover some bugs. Mm-hmm. We're going to discover ways to evolve it. We're going to discover ways to make it work better with uh, with changing times in the world as as outside forces require us to improve the operating system. Um, and like any operating system, uh, think what it would be like for a company like Target to update their point of sale system. They have a massive legacy system. How long does it take for them to shift from system A to new, new and better system B? And you get a sense, and, and, and then if you think of your 
your entrepreneurial operating system, as the software of the organization, you have a legacy system, which was maybe knocking on Cliff's door, bad legacy system. And we are replacing it with a brand new collection of methods for running the company. It's a time-consuming process, and it and that's what we're learning. You know, and what struck me as you were talking, there's the cliff before and the cliff after. Yeah. What's your What's the chief difference that you see in your day between before and now? I'm way more relaxed. I mean, the it it really is a way for uh, a CEO and other leadership, I think, in the organization to feel more in control, more clarity, sleep better at night. Really? Yeah, you're not casting about every day for a new direction or a new answer. That's a hugely relaxing thing, if, if, if for lack of a better way of saying it. And the guessing that other teammates have to make about which direction the company is going, the uncertainty uh, that people feel about what their role is in the organization, none of that is good for anybody in the company and none of it's good for the company. So have we solved all those problems? No, I'm, I don't even want to hint to you that we've got this thing nailed, but I just, as I've expressed earlier, I just feel like we're moving in the right direction. You know, as one follow on to that, so as that feel more relaxed and so on, have you had aha moments from this change? The, you know, the big aha moment is we, we were faced with a challenging competitive environment and there were just so many, there are so many things we have to address. And um, it feels like we can do that now. So the aha moment was, how the hell are we going to do that to, okay, we're, we're going to be able to do it. And that's, there's a huge, that's a huge that's gap. That's huge. Yeah. That's hope. Right. It, that, that's a good way to put it. Exactly. You know. Yeah. It gives us hope. It gives me hope. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> you know, as we were going down the road, when, you know, I guess looking over this change for you guys, what do you think the misconceptions were about you as CEO before you went through this process? So uh, I have said over the years, I mean, as a CEO and, and even um, more as somebody who's labeled as an entrepreneur, there are all these notions that the world around you has of who you are as an entrepreneur, as if there's this monolithic idea of what an entrepreneur is. And I never felt like I fit many of those things, right? Uh, and, and I've always told my people that whatever the outside world is telling you, uh, the victories are ours together, they're not mine. They're not because of my idea. I might've been the guy stupid enough and crazy enough to start the company. I'll take credit for that, <laughs> fine. Um, but, but now most of the credit really belongs to other people. And I guess what I would say to the world about entrepreneurs is when you look at them, look past them and look at the team that they've got and you'll figure out how well they're doing as an organization. Yeah, you see that a lot in the military as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Can they function without leadership? Right. The general gets all the credit, but I bet in the back room the general's going, I know it's not me, guys, it's you. And I would tell you the general would say the credit belongs to the troops. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's just a absolutely, leader. absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah, looking back over the past few years, what would or should you have said no to, and why? Ah, 
um, many things. Uh, <laughs> I, I was accused of having a shiny object problem, as you right, right? I, I as you noted earlier. Uh, we um, tried lots of products that failed. Um, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, in times of success, I do believe firmly that you should be experimenting constantly. Uh, you should have a petri dish of stuff growing that could be the next new big thing for the organization. Um, at times when things are leaner and tighter, perhaps that's not the best thing to engage in. But certainly when, when the flywheel of the core business seems to be spinning fast, I think you'd be wise to throw a lot of things against the wall. But the criticism I have of myself is I think we threw too many things on the wall. When I walked in, mm -hmm. I got to enjoy one of your projects. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the thought process to go ahead and design your own piece of furniture and the process of going to China and lessons learned maybe out of that process. Yeah. As an organization, um, we were fortunate enough in our very first days to link to a superb factory in Japan. And we were really all alone at the top of the massage chair marketplace. And the competitors in this country and around the world really saw our success and started to knock off small parts of it just in terms of the feature and function set of the chairs that we had. Um, and then over time, more and more and more of it until uh, on a feature chart, it's actually hard to distinguish our chairs from the competitors. Mm -hmm. Now, on the performance chart, different story. Features and performance are two very different things. Let me take a tangent here for a second. I tell people, um, think of our chairs as a Ferrari, but understand that there's also the Ford Fiesta on the road. They both have steering wheels. They both have gas pedals. They both have a transmission and they both have a brake pedal. But nobody in the right mind would argue that these are the same car, right? And in fact, there may the Fiesta may even be more feature rich because a Ferrari's pretty bare bone car, mm -hmm. just drives really well. So driving really well is what you want to do. Then you want a Ferrari. Um, so even though our our massage chairs may not be super feature rich, they're still really so carefully built that they're kind of the Ferrari of the marketplace. But what we discovered is that we really needed to take our own fate into our own hands. We needed to not be reliant on the technology that manufacturers were coming up from their manufacturing side and their manufacturing brain, um, which is limited by what do we think the factory is capable of doing easily? Mm -hmm. um, what have we seen and can copy from other people mm -hmm. uh, to just iterate on what we have and slowly evolve? And we've taken that and we've said, let's go talk to super designers. Let's go talk to people who really understand furniture, understand massage, um, understand how to think that are established three-dimensional thinkers that will let us bring novel product with real benefits to the market. We're engaged deeply in a project to do that now. I can't say too much about it, but we're no, engaged. I, I, just, I just think yeah. it's fascinating when you, you know, you look at, you know, what's the big thing that could take a damage to the company if your sole source supplier goes away and decides to do right. something else and you go. That's right. Yeah. We don't want to reach that point without, we have a plan in place to, <laughs> to make sure that we're okay. Survivability. Yes. You know, when you come in on any given day, 
do you have a self-talk or a dialogue that goes on between your ears when you come in for the day to take and stay focused and, and whatnot? Um, yes. Uh, I, I like to walk in the mornings, and, and it is a great time for me to kind of think about my day. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just think about personal matters. But uh, frequently I get good ideas on that walk. But when I come in here, my hope is that there is enough time where I'm just silent because uh, it is way too easy for me to get, and it's not true just of me, but of other people too in the organization, where you can just go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And I don't think you can offer your best work or your best self constantly in dialogue with other people without kind of coming back to your desk and just standing, in our case, for just a moment and perhaps staring at your computer screen for a while and um, disconnecting from uh, from the flurry of activity that is this office. Um, you know, the good ideas, it, it, people always say that you, know, you don't get good ideas out of committees. There's a lot of truth to that. And, and, and the question becomes, if you're always sitting in a committee and you're always in a meeting and you're always being pulled in a whole bunch of direction, what is the idea you're gonna have that's not part of a committee? You gotta, you gotta tear away and separate from that stuff. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about the folks that come in from other organizations and they may be used to sitting at a traditional desk yeah. and a traditional chair yeah. and we're anything but that here. Yeah. So what's the, the chief takeaway from that new person energy wise or just whatever from standing versus sitting? Um, well, we have a fairly formal interview process, so nobody's surprised. Uh, and, and as they go through that process, they, they will, hopefully walk away with a very clear understanding that we're focused on health. Mm -hmm. And we're not just outwardly looking at our consumers and um, kind of mindlessly and, and uh, marketing this health message because we think it's an effective way to sell product. Um, uh, that's not earnest. Right? And I think we, it, it, from us, it comes from, it comes from the inside. We talk about health as an organization. We talk about being healthy as an organization by being healthy as individuals. We let, there's an employee out there right now taking a massage that is hundred percent allowable at any time of the day. You can get a massage. We sell massage chairs. You should understand what our products do and you should take advantage of the, of the benefits you can reap by clearing your mind for a little while during the day. Um, so they walk in understanding what that's about. And as you noted earlier, there are dogs in the office. That's part of what it's about too. There's a lot of science behind it, but my belief is that people don't produce their best work under stress. They can respond and you can get good results under stress, but the best thinking and the most careful strategies aren't going to come out of the most insane yeah, situations. Unlikely to be durable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before I forget, mm -hmm. how do people find you? Mm -hmm. on social media? We have, well, first of all, the, the easiest way to find our website is to go to furnitureforlife.com. Okay. And then our brands, Positive Posture, Dreamwave, Panasonic, we've all, we've got social media pages scattered around. So that's a good way. Us. Yeah. Many business owners have particular quotes that they either like or use. Yes. Do you have a favorite quote? Yes, absolutely. This one's easy. Don't let perfect get in the way of better. Big problem. You know, so, you know for you, yeah. you know, I, I hear that. Yeah. And so in, in application, what does that mean to you? Um, that means that somebody standing at the front of the room 
lamenting that we can't do A, B, C, D, E, and F. And other people in the room are going, yeah, but if we can just get A and B done, we'd take a, and, and, and the person at the board is so wed to this perfect utopian notion of what the next step for the organization needs to be, that they can't let go enough to realize that organizationally, we may not be able to attack the whole thing, but if we could just get 40% of it or 80% of it done, we'll be a, in a much better spot than we are today. And you know, there's a person's ego involved in, in, in the way they've imagined and pictured the whole thing. So they have to let go of that in order to not let perfect get in the way of better. And it's hard, it's hard for me. It's hard for, I think it's hard for humans. Yes. Mm -hmm. To wrap this up, if I was to ask colleagues, because you serve on a board or two, I think, mm -hmm. um, what you were best at, what would they say, and how do you utilize this strength on a daily basis? I, I think they would say that I'm, I'm a pretty creative mind, um, but I'm not head in the clouds creative. I think I can um, spit out Hopefully I spit out some new and challenging ideas for people to maybe rethink situations or rethink opportunities. Um, but I'm very capable of living in the real world. I, I hope they say that about me. I think, I think if, if you polled people, that's what you would hear. You know, I, I think about many folks have talked about creativity and innovation. Mm -hmm. and, and so when, when you're faced with a challenge that may cause you to need to put on your creative hat, what do you do? That goes back to that time you need a part. You've got to think and you've got to let ideas rattle around in your head, or maybe you've got to read, or these days maybe you've got to Google something. You can, you can go down a rabbit hole that you might emerge from with a possible answer. You know, I don't think there's anybody in this organization that can play a useful leadership role that can't go off and think on their own. And this ties again back to reading. You know, it's all about putting your ideas in order, thinking it through, understanding consequences, and trying to organize all that in your head or on a piece of paper or in a Google Doc or whatever it is, so that when you articulate it and you're asking the organization to move with you in a specific direction, you've thought it through. I'm not for one second a great writer. I, I'm not making that claim at all. but. Uh, I feel like I can write well enough. You know, writing requires structure. It requires organizing similar ideas in similar places on the page. And, and I think that process of thinking helps you um, digest uh, challenges and, and, and come out with uh, thoughtful, non-crazy approaches and solutions, hopefully. And, you know, we ask that of everybody in the organization. Well, Cliff... We're, we're toward the tail end of me harassing you here. It's, uh, it's been you've been very tough. <laughs> I feel totally harassed. <laughs> you know, this, I, I, I love these chats. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you think one thing and you, you look about uh, the evolution of what you do in the business end. We're fortunate to have you as a guest on the podcast, and thank you so much for sharing your journey and wisdom along the way. Well, it's been good fun. Thank you very much, Bob. Appreciate it. Thanks.